he's got another one of those. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, would somebody read 38 to 42? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So what had they heard? The law of the tooth. The law of the tooth. <laughs> and, the, and the law of the tooth was? Well, wasn't that what the Old Testament said? An eye for an eye and a tooth for two? So what was wrong with that? Why doesn't he say, it is written an eye for an eye and a tooth for two? Ever thought about that? Well, that was... That was like a punishment for a crime. It sounds like what he was saying um, in response to that is more like in personal relationships. That's one aspect. That's exactly right. When he talked about in the Old Testament an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was not something that was to be taken to somebody's own hands and they were supposed to just execute their own personal vengeance. That was a judicial principle. And really the point of that in the original context was what? A limitation. Absolutely. That was telling you how far justice could properly go. That in the courtroom they were not allowed to execute more than what the damage was. So you couldn't have some suit that, you know, tried to get more than what the damage was. That's really the concept of that. One in ten. We're in uh, Matthew 5, starting in 38. Um, and, and, and so really it was a limitation on the governmental uh, justice. But they turned this into what? for tat kind yeah. of thing that this is you have to at least get if you lose an eye you have to get at least an eye so they turned this into kind of uh, an authorization of seeking revenge and of uh, you know uh, retaliating getting their own personal <coughs> rights and so Jesus says shocking things I say to you do not resist an evil person <laughs> whoever slaps you on your right cheek Turn the other to him also. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not quite that what they were thinking. They were thinking if he slapped you on the right cheek, make sure you get him back at least as hard on the other side. And he says, oh no. You do just the opposite of that. You let him hit the other side. Um, instead of protecting your own honor, you think about the other's needs. You act more generously. You don't stand on your rights. You let him take advantage of you. He said, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, well, let him have your coat also. <laughs> uh, instead of thinking about our own rights, our own honor, we're to constantly think about other people and, and do what they would want. 
whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Do you know the background behind that? Is that a Roman thing? Yeah. Where a Roman officer, Roman soldier, whatever, could compel you to accompany them for a mile. Like when, you remember the time that that came into play in Jesus' life? Yes, was compelled to carry the cross. And by Roman law, you were only required to carry it a mile. But you could be doing anything, and if a Roman soldier says, go this way for a mile with this, <laughs> you had to. You didn't have a choice about it. He said, well, if they compel you to go one mile, go two. <laughs> Double it. You can imagine that would have been really, you know, annoying to have to do that. Uh, and yet he's saying go beyond what's, even when an unreasonable task is required, don't resent it. <laughs> go above and beyond. You know, uh, the needs of others come before our convenience. So he's saying instead of trying to use the law as an excuse for vengeance, you act with generosity, you act to favor others, you act in the opposite spirit of seeking revenge. Now, what do you think about this? Uh, like when he says in verse 42, Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Does that mean that anybody can get anything I've got just by asking? That I should give them to them? <clears throat> So if the thief would just ask, he could have it all? <laughs> I mean, it almost sounds like that. It does, doesn't it? I just find that a little, more than a little odd. Yeah, Jesus is being shocking. He's intentionally drawing this out in a very dramatic way. Would there be teachings in the Bible that would make us think that he doesn't mean this to be taken in a woodenly literal sense? Proverbs. Oh which says what? I can't remember. It's either a borrow nor a lender be. <laughs> Wait, no way that's yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the idea. You know, like, don't be a cosigner for somebody else's debt. You know, well, what if they ask you? You know, because uh, usually that's when you do that. And uh, things like that. Come on in, Colin. We're in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Good, thanks. And... Uh, <coughs> So, I mean, he's not saying that we just have to give endless amount of money because we're a soft touch to anybody who comes along. But he is saying, you be generous. You be giving rather than retaliating. You be generous rather than taking. Um, he's not saying, you know, when, we, when it comes to uh, verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your codos also, and so you have to flee away from the courtroom naked. You know, that's not quite what he's saying. But he's saying you go, you do the opposite of taking revenge. You go uh, unselfishly, you seek to help others, to, to meet the needs of others. Um, you know, you always have to balance these rather forceful statements of Jesus by, by the overall teaching of the Bible. But he's trying to get them to really wake up out of their constant, you know, sense of nobody's going to get me, you know, I'll get them back, to saying, that's not the right spirit at all. You ought to be constantly thinking about how to serve. Think about Jesus. Did he retaliate? Did he take revenge? Wasn't he willing to go the extra mile? Wasn't he willing to give more than was required? That's the kind of spirit we ought to have. Comments and thoughts about that. 
So is that kind of how he's being throughout this whole chapter? You know, in some senses, like he's like you said, he was trying to be shocking, and I don't know, like it's you're supposed to take the principles and. In some senses, yes. Now, you know, you have to take every uh, every statement for itself. But yeah, there are several things he says, like pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. Right. You know, we understand that he meant that uh, vividly and forcefully, but probably not literally. <laughs> you know, there's several things like that that I don't think we would understand in a literal sense, even though we understand them in a real sense. You know, we have to balance this in, because sometimes people come to this and say, well, you don't take this literally, therefore throw it out the window. Do anything you want to to each other. No. I mean, he is saying, he's trying to impact us with this and say, you know, instead of taking revenge, you do the opposite. You give revenge, you know. <laughs> you, 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 you're generous. You don't stand on your own rights. You, you do all you can to serve. Uh, and if somebody's mean to you, you be kind back to them. If somebody takes advantage of you, you be thoughtful back to them. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't even be helpful to somebody in every case if I just you know gave an unlimited amount to them. That might enable them in their crime. You know, he's not saying do something foolish. Paul said in Second Thessalonians three, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. He's not saying we should just keep paying or keep feeding the deadbeat. You know, there's there's balancing principles, but but it is a very strong statement of of the anti revenge principle of the gospel. And, and for verse forty two, I would I would think that part of this is you're not supposed to reject somebody's request for help just out of hand because you don't want to do it. You don't want to be generous. But if you do reject them, then you've got uh, their, their good in mind. Yes. Excellent point. Exactly. The other people's needs comes before my convenience. Now, their, it's their needs and what's best for them. Uh, but yes, we don't, we don't just say, well, I want all this for me. You know, I earned it. It's my money. You know, why should I be giving it to anybody? Other questions and comments, thoughts? Verse 39. I remember hearing something like really <coughs> strange about this verse that, you know, you, you get slapped and then the, part of it is you're supposed to let them restore you to honor by getting slapped on the other cheek. That's why I said it was weird. But I didn't know if you'd heard any. I've never heard that. Thing. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. We'll just gloss over that. Well, I think I'd like to slap somebody who had that philosophy. <laughs> I'll, I'll honor them back. Yeah. No. I, it, I it was. It was something. You know, being slapped on the left cheek meant this, and being slapped on the right cheek meant this. I mean, it was very. Yeah. You know. It strikes you as those things that are invented sometimes try to take away the force of it, like, you know, the eye of the needle being uh, supposedly laid that gate into the city or whatever, and things like that, which, uh, I, but I've never heard that, so I'm glad. At least not in my memory anymore. There are things I run across that I've even written that I said I would never, I'd never heard of, so <laughs> I, I, I'm not a good judge of what I've heard. But. It's always a revelation to me to go back and read my old notes. 
All right. How about forty-three to forty-eight? Okay, right. How would this relate to um, like self-defense or you know, a husband or father's requirement to defend his wife and children? Well, um, I don't know that this is primarily um, self-defense or defense-oriented. I think this is more retaliating for somebody wronging me. So I'm not sure this passage really is in that mode. Um, on the other hand, I don't know that, that you see Jesus in a self-defense mode, and, and he's an example for us. However, you know, to balance that, I would say you could see in Paul a willingness to use legal means to protect himself. I mean, you know, he appealed to his Roman citizenship, he appealed to Caesar, and things like that. He, he had his nephew go and inform the commander of the plot against him to ambush him and so forth. So we're certainly not required to just uh, like egg on attacks. You know, uh, Jesus said, when they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. So if we mean avoiding being hurt, I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with that as long as we're not denying the gospel in the process. Um, as far as just, you know, uh, a responsibility to defend somebody, like physically or whatever, I'm also not sure we've got any teaching in the Bible that teaches that. Uh, I don't know where I'd go to say, you know, my, res my responsibility is to make sure that I defend, you know, my family. Some people do a lot with that concept, and I'm not sure they've got that from the Bible. Um, I, ultimately, all of us are defenseless, and all of us need the Lord to, to defend us. But, but taking advantage of legal means and other things for self-protection does not seem to be a problem. Other questions or thoughts on all All right, how about 43 to 48? You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you look, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what had they heard? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Well, what part of that had, uh, had been written in the Old Testament? <laughs> the first part. Yeah. The love your neighbor, now that's in the Old Testament. There's nothing bad about that part. But the hate your enemy, I don't think, is in the Old Testament. There, I don't know whether to say this now or later. There are imprecatory statements in the Old Testament where people were praying for the defeat of God's enemies. But I don't know that that justifies from the Old Testament perspective even a hatred of personal enemies. And what he says to do with our enemies here is to do what with them? Love them and pray for them. 
Can you pray for somebody sincerely and still hate them? That'd be hard to do. Because if you pray for them, what will happen? Yeah, God will bless them. God will take care of them. And that's hard to do with somebody you hate because you don't really want God <laughs> to bless the person that you hate. So he's asking us to do the opposite, uh, you know, of, of what we instinctively want to do. And that is despise the guts of somebody who is an enemy of ours and hurts us. If, if crucifixion couldn't stop Jesus from praying for his enemies. What pain ought to justify silencing our prayers for our enemies? You know, think about him praying for the forgiveness of those who were nailing him onto the cross. That's a great example. Think about Stephen. You know, they say, well, I couldn't be like Jesus. What about Stephen? He also prayed for those who were stoning him. That's the spirit we ought to have. Now, what would we tend to react with when we hear, well, you've got to love your enemies and pray for your persecutors? What would be the common reply to that? You just want me to roll over and let them do whatever? Well, that's one thing, yes. And what about they don't deserve it? You and you. Exactly. <laughs> This is not based on their deserving it. And thankfully, the Lord's treatment of us is not either. Now, the Lord, he's, he blesses the wicked. He blesses his enemies. He sends a number of wonderful blessings down, even on those who hate him. This idea of, you know, just being nice to the people who are nice to me. Well, who in the world does that? Pretty much everybody does that. I mean, even the tax collectors do that, and they were hardly models for Christian behavior. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, he'd started this section with, your righteousness has to be better than the scribes and Pharisees in verse 20. Now he's lowered it to the point, well, it needs to be better than the tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> you know, <laughs> clearly it does. I mean, you know... Even the tax collectors who had reputations lower than that of used chariot salesmen, but even the tax collectors loved those who loved them, their mothers and you know other tax collectors and people like that. But, but what's our model? Who are we supposed to follow? Yeah, God. You know, therefore you're to be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. That's what our standard is. We do not follow society's norms or what everybody else is doing, but the character of God defines how we live. We are to be like God. If that's the way God is, if, to be persecuted according to 512 puts us with the prophets. To bless and pray for our persecutors puts us with God himself. That's what we want. If that's the way God treats others, then that's the way we treat them. So that's the standard. I mean, he started with, it's got to be better than the scribes and Pharisees. He ended with, God, that's what you live like. That's your behavior. This is a challenging sermon, don't you think? Comments and questions?
Yes. What would you say to someone who said, well, I don't hate the devil because he's my enemy? I would say that's, that's right. You don't ha hate the devil because your enemy he's your enemy. You hate the devil because he's God's enemy. So are you even supposed to hate God's enemies? Absolutely. See Psalms. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and that's the way God is. Think about God. Does God love his enemies? Yes. Yes. Does God hate his enemies? Yes. <laughs> now, how does that work? Well, God in, it wants to redeem his enemies upon their repentance. And he's gone to great personal sacrifice to accomplish that. Those of his enemies who absolutely refuse his grace and refuse to repent, he hates and he'll punish. And so we want God's enemies to be punished. We want our enemies to be punished. So we do hate Satan. Other comments or questions? It says and to um, pray for your enemies, and also we should be teaching. If we love our enemies, we should be teaching them the word of God and be accepting if they do turn. Because when I think about it, I don't want to go out and teach somebody that I hate, because then they'll turn to God, and God will forgive them of their sins, and they'll be. I'll have to be nice to them. I'll have to be encouraging, helping them grow. And I, I really don't like that guy. But in Jonah, he thought the same way about Nineveh. And um, in chapter 4, ver halfway through verse 2, he says, For I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And we should want God to relent of the calamity upon our enemies. We should want them to become brethren and not enemies. Amen. That's exactly right. That is the nature of God, and it needs to be our nature and attitude as well. And, you know, for Jonah, why did he hate the Ninevites so bad? They were his enemies. What had they ever done to him? I mean, to the, to the Israelite people. Yes, they were national enemies. You know, they were the bad guys to the Israelites. You know, would we like to see... I don't know, our national enemies come to the Lord? Do we like to see the Iraqis, the Arabs, you know, come to the Lord? Would we like to see the Hispanics come to the Lord? You know, would we like to see the blacks come to the Lord? Would we like to see uh, the criminals come to the Lord? Or whoever you envision, do you like to see, you know, Purdue fans come to the Lord? Or whatever. Uh, you know, Maybe we don't have as much national enemies as they did, but I think our goal is we want everyone saved. There's nobody we, we wouldn't want to turn to the Lord. We'd be thrilled to know anybody from any culture or race or whatever had become a Christian, a brother or a sister to us. Other questions, comments? Well, Jesus uh, has defined um, the behavior, the standards for the kingdom citizen. In chapter 6, he begins to speak of obstacles in our spiritual life. As we start living this life, there are some problems that arise. And man, he nails these, these problems. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't be the things you think about. 
as being real obstacles in our spiritual life. But they are so much. Would somebody read chapter 6, verse 1? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, 